It's summertime at Grace. Yeah, we brighten the place up a little bit. Uh, Mike gets to let the band turn loose some, and they, they did that, didn't they? Did, uh, and the, the last song today, let me just tell you, if you're going to a church where, you know, the, the fiddle and the squeeze box and the steel drum aren't rocking the place, you're going to the wrong church. You should come here. You should come here. Let's start our uh, summer series. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Proverbs for about seven weeks. In 1993, I was working uh, with a young couple. They'd been married not very long, two years, uh, but they had already separated. And um, I had been meeting uh, with the wife uh, primarily at, in the beginning. She's a cute little thing and knew her Bible. Verses were spewing all over the place. And uh, I went and talked to the husband multiple times over the months. He was a friend of mine. And and try to get him just, just to desire to change. And eventually he said, yes, I desire to change. And he, and he did. He honestly changed. Eight months into this, he is a changed man. Nine months into it, nothing's happened in the marriage itself. And so I, I sat down with him and, and said, could you explain to me how it's, you've changed so much, but it's not getting better. He said, Matt, there has always been another side to this story. And I need, I need you to understand that part of the story. And so he told me about his, his wife's involvement uh, in kind of the arguments and some of the rift that's going on. And so I went back to her and said, hey, so, you know, your husband said a few things to me about the way you're treating him, and I just want to just run it by you and see what you think. And I did. I t friends, she lit into me like a Roman candle. I just got my eyebrows back just like months ago. <clears throat> and it turns out she's a sweet little thing that does Bible verses as long as you agreed with her side of the story. And once that changed, everything changed. Now, I remember specifically it was 1993 because I, I remember this verse coming to mind right here, this one. I wish someone would have told me. The, the first to speak in court sounds right until cross-examination begins. I wish, I wish I had read that verse in 1992. And I remember it was 1993 because that verse says, you know, there's two sides of the story. You need to hear both sides of the story. I'm a big Phil Collins fan. He came out with an album called Both Sides of the Story. The title track is called Both Sides of the Story. It's six minutes and 47 seconds long. And I still wasn't listening. And I just thought, okay, okay, next time. Next time this happens, I'm going I'm, I'm to do it right next time. I'm going to trade up. Next time I'm going to believe what Proverbs tells me about hearing both sides of the story. And I, for the most part, that's been true. But 15 years later, I'm in the same swamp all over again. I'm taking the, the, the wife's side on things so much to the point where the husband's mutual friend of mine calls me and just says, Matt, look, I know you're meeting with this couple, and I know what you, you're kind of turning the screws on him a little bit, but you need to understand that she's not portraying herself who she really is. She is playing the victim, and she's playing you. There's a lot more to this. There, and I said, wait, don't tell me. The first person to speak in court sounds right until cross-examination. He goes, yeah, there's two sides of the story. You need to hear both sides of the story. I thought, next time. Next time. Have you ever 
been in a situation where you were down the path of folly or naivete and you are accumulating bills because of those choices of moving step by step in that direction and you think, next time. Next time, well, I'm going to trade up. I know some of you have said out loud, uh, we should have had premarital counseling. Next time, <laughs> I don't, I, gonna, next time on that one, next time, next time we'll do the wise thing and we'll trade up. Some of you are, I, I know I should have just thrown those cards away, the credit cards, the moment they came to the house, cut them up and throw them in the trash can. N- next time I'll do the wise thing and next time I'll, I'll trade up. I, I should have been a team player at work before they fired me. Next time I'll be wise. Next time I'll, I'll trade up. Maybe I should have counted to 10 before I lit into my son. But next time, yeah, I'll be wise. Next time I'll trade up. See, the thing is, many of us in, in church right now are carrying around these giant backpacks filled with regrets. And we, we look back in, in 2020 hindsight, we can see backwards with with some expression of wisdom and say, that's where I went down a foolish path and then chose to stay on that foolish path. And we're looking at Proverbs because I'm just, I'm just here to ask you, anybody want to trade up? Anyone, getting, anyone else getting tired of saying next time? Because if you are and you want to trade up to wisdom, this book, Proverbs, this is the book for you. This is an awesome book in the Old Testament that is, I would say, the single easiest book to read. It is overwhelmingly practical. It is, it is like in, in the trenches of real life. It is God's owner's manual. If I had to call it something, I'd say it's God's owner's manual. He created everything. He knows how everything works and says, bloomp, you want a happy life? Just follow the directions. That's what it is. And, and the theme of the of book of wisdom is wisdom. It's throughout the book. It's a first chap, first, what, chapters one through nine is selling wisdom. And then the next 22 chapters is applying wisdom to the various aspects of your life. First nine chapters, pursue wisdom. <laughs> Over and over again, pursue wisdom. And he's going to speak, most of these are from Solomon, and he's going to speak with a style of uh, a compassionate and concerning father, maybe saying a few things to his son before he goes off and enlists in the military. And then there's a number of them that are quite animated, and it's more like he's in the military now, and the drill sergeant is screaming at him because he's in imminent danger. It's, a, it's, a <laughs> uh, it's an animated book, let's just say. Pursue wisdom. That's the theme of it. So what's wisdom? Wisdom is depth perception of your soul. It's the, in, in, in the areas of knowing what is right and real and true. Uh, wisdom is, is pro, it's prophecy. You are able to see, like, the consequences of, of values and attitudes and actions before they even happen. You can see them coming. If every decision has a price tag, and every decision does have a price tag, wisdom is the ability to know what the real price is for that decision without actually having to buy it. That's what wisdom is. In our culture in the West, we think wisdom is information. It is not. It is not, not, it is not knowledge. In the Old Testament Bible, 
Wisdom is likened to the knowledge of a skill, the ability to do that thing. And so you'll see throughout the Older Testament, they'll say wisdom in, you know, uh, woodworking because he can, he can take a log and turn it into a bench because that person can do that. The, the ability, to, the skill to sing, not want to sing, not hope to sing, not think you can sing, but other people know you can sing. That's what it means. It's attributed to business. It's attributed to sailors that can actually sail. So it's a skill. Um, a theological expression of that is one scholar said that wisdom is the, sk the skill in godly living. It is the ability to cope with life in a God-honoring way. When you read Proverbs, you're going to see that wisdom is the theme, and it has extreme value. Throughout the book, verse after verse, it's going to say, get wisdom at any cost. You go get wisdom. Why? Because you don't pay for wisdom. Wisdom pays you. You pay for being a fool. You pay for just being naive. Wisdom, it doesn't cost. And so you'll see throughout the passages, I'll read just a few sentences here, that whatever you want, cash it in and get wisdom instead. Look at chapter 3, verses uh, 13 through 18. Let me read them for you. And look at the comparison between what we consider valuable as opposed to this lady wisdom. Joyful, uh, some translations say blessed. Joyful or blessed is the person who finds wisdom, the one who gains understanding. For wisdom is more profitable than silver. Her wages are better than gold. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. She offers a long life to those in her right hand and, and riches and honor in her left hand. She will guide you down delightful paths. All her ways are satisfying. Wisdom is free, is, is the tree of life to those who embrace her. Happy are those who hold her tightly. I want to be a tree hugger. Hug that tree. <laughs> Hug Lady Wisdom and don't let her go. Wisdom, pursue it. Wisdom, desire it. You want to lust after something in your life? You lust after Lady Wisdom, right? Uh, rubies, they're precious. They're gorgeous. They're, well, they're spectacular in their appearance. Solomon says, no. Maybe, sure, right, yes, but they're not majestic when they're next to wisdom. Silver has value, absolutely, no doubt about that. But comparatively speaking, there is nothing that has the value of understanding. If you went back 10 years and invested in gold today, it would be worth twice that amount. Solomon comes in and says, if you have that hopped up DeLorean and you could go back 10 years, you want to spend every penny you can on wisdom because the return on that is greater than anything you could see financially. He says, nothing you desire can compare with her. If it costs all that you have, trade up. Trade up. There is nothing like this wisdom, this depth perception of understanding what is right and real and true. Just stop and think of one of the applications in the book of Proverbs towards wisdom. Let's just say, how could you put a value on the wisdom of parenting? 
how difficult it is for a father to know when and then how much to in, like reprimand a child or encourage a child in the various seasons of a child's life. How great would it be to be a mother with wisdom to know what and then how much, when and how much to uh, listen or to teach, to try to instruct a child and get out of the way so natural consequences can mow your child down and they become teachable to lady wisdom. I mean, you... <laughs> if. So, so many of you are parents. If I told you that if you could get out your checkbook and write a check and you would have the discernment uh, and this ability to walk the tightrope of parenting, right, this golden mean in between the two extremes, would you write that check? If you ask how much is it, you've missed the point. Leave it blank because whatever it costs, you pay for wisdom because you don't pay for wisdom. <laughs> Any, any, any expense to receive wisdom is, is, is not an expense. It's an investment. And its returns are grand. You, here's what you pay for. You pay for not having wisdom. You pay for foolish and naivete. So what, whatever it costs, whatever it costs, you pursue wisdom. You'll see that in chapters 1 through 9. Where do you get wisdom? Well, that's one of the two themes. The overall, there's two major themes in the book of Proverbs, and one of the themes is where you get it. And here it is in chapter 1, verse 7, just the first, uh, I think it's B. I don't know, B or A. A, A. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How do you get this precious thing that's better than a return on gold? Fear of the Lord. As one author put it, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. What you think about God needs to be true. You need to fear the Lord. You need to fear how powerful and awesome he is the great and final judge of all things. You need to fear the Lord because of his love and his mercy will bring you to repentance. Fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowing his son, that his life was more than an example. He came so to pay the cost for our sins, that he might die and he would be resurrected so we would receive his spirit so he could reach out his hands to you and say, come with me. I want you to meet Lady Wisdom and live your life with her. It's, it's, it's sheer genius, I think, in the artistic uh, craftsmanship or, or, or uh, wisdom of C.S. Lewis in his Bedtime Stories Chronicles of Narnia to, pre to present Jesus, the Jesus character there at Aslan, as a lion, but not any lion, friends. A lion's lion, he says. He's a lion the size of a horse. If you could envision Jesus, a lion the size of a horse, would that help you fear him? <laughs> I think it would. And we're to see God that way because he will be our final judge, and he is the only one that can change us. Only grace can transform us. Only he has that kind of power. And so even in the Chronicles of Narnia, the characters in that story, they fear Aslan because they know he is their final judge, and he is the only one that can change them. They don't like to see him roar, but they enjoy when he purrs. That's what it means to fear the Lord. 
That's what it means to have understanding. That's, what, that's where you get wisdom, friends. And, and listen, if you have trouble reading the, uh, the Bible and, and, and you read the Old Testament saints, the heroes there, and you wonder, what happened? You know, where did they go wrong? I'll tell you. It's simple. It's, it's Proverbs 1-7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And, and so you look at Moses' life, if you know the story, right? Moses looked left and right and saw that no one was watching, and he, and he killed the Egyptian. And do you know why he did, he did such a foolish act? Why did he walk down that path of foolishness? Because he woke up that day and had no fear of God. He looked left and right, not up, and thought, if he doesn't see God, he must not be there. He did not fear the Lord. Next time, oh, next time, he would trade up and let all the judgment come from God. He didn't just let God do the work, and that's the rest of the book of Exodus. You look at the book of David, or the teachings of the story, I'm sorry, of David, and you wonder, how could a man after God's own heart be so foolish on that spring morning when he looked at his calendar and it says, oh, this is the time where I meet my men in battle and I go do what kings do. And do you know why he didn't? Because that morning, there was no fear of God in him. And so he chose not to live wisely. You, it, see how it starts with the fear of the Lord? And if there's no fear of the Lord, you think, you know what? I can do this. I can handle a couple steps down this pathway because I'm me. And that's how you end up ruining the very thing that that tender heart got you, you destroyed. So Lady Wisdom is asking around, how many of you have gone far enough down that road of foolishness or naivete where you're tired of saying next time? How many of you are, have damaged enough relationships? How many of you have squandered enough money? How many of you have wasted enough time? How many of you have used your mouth to cause a Mississippi River full of tears, yours and other people's? How many of you guys want to raise a white flag and say, I'm dumb being dumb, and I want to start being wise? Anybody? Who wants to trade up? Who wants to trade up? That's what we're going to talk about this summer, trading up. That's the, the, the theme of the whole time together. We'll look at various characters. Here's what we're going to do. The, this book is a passionate book, so I'm going to teach with as much passion because I need to represent the book itself. This book uses a lot of humor. I'll try to be funny because you can learn a lot of wisdom when you're laughing at yourself and sometimes other people. It's a lot easier that way. Uh, this, this book is very entertaining. Just read it for yourself. It's very entertaining. And you know what you can get with entertaining, entertainment? Understanding. So we're going to be entertaining. We're going to be fun. We're going to be passionate as we study the book of Proverbs together and we look at these various personalities. This is uh, usually the kind of the best-selling stuff that uh, we've done over the years. This Proverbs series, haven't done it in a number of years. So here's what I'm asking for you to consider doing like independent of just getting engaged. Would you consider starting a Bible study at home or in your neighborhood? doesn't matter where your friends go to church. Just have them. Let's go through the series together. We're going to give you a study guide 
in the children's uh, building, in the Live Oak building, and you guys can go through it together. If you are the mother or father of small children, you should get involved in this. Our youth ministry is doing the same series, their own version of it. The children's ministry in, on the second floor of the Live Oak building, they're going to get this uh, summer family fun. They are walking through our whole series together, same notes and everything. Every week we're going to get a little trading card. We want every child that can read to get a trading card. And they'll have three Bible verses for that particular personality to remember so they can enjoy and learn. Okay? And those trading cards will be in the lobby, they'll be in the bulletin each week, and they'll be over in the Live Oak building. Would you consider starting a Bible study, getting a Bible study going? Uh, about 1% of our teaching time each week, I'm going to say, here's how to do this as a parent. We use this, this series using uh, raising our children. We felt it to be very effective. Now, if you want to trade up, and we're going to study the book of Proverbs, I want to tell you how to get the most out of the book. Okay? I'm going to get five principles in best applying the book of Proverbs. One of the problems with Proverbs is each sentence or couplet is exploding with meaning and application. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just bursting and overflowing. And so uh, every one of these Proverbs has a story in, in, in general, right? If, 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 it, if Proverbs is an owner's manual, have you ever read an owner's manual where you wonder, you know, how does that get in there? Because every proverb, every rule has a story. And so you, you want to look at the stories. If you, I, this is a true thing. I read in an owner's manual recently, my wife's hair dryer, that you are not supposed to dry your hair while you're in the shower. <laughs> now, there are so many things going on in my head with that. Like, why are you trying to dry while you're getting wet? And then why? But the bigger deal is, is how did that get in the owner's manual? There's a story there. There's always a story with a proverb, okay? And so, so here's, here's how to get the best out of these, these little couplets of wisdom for us, okay? The first thing you do is you read a chapter a day. There's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, and there's a lot of people that are, have grown, grown wise with Christ by reading a chapter a day their whole life. Every day, they, or every month, they just start over again with cha chapter one. So you're going to read together as a group. We're going to be able to, between now and July 4th, we'll be able to get all 20 or 31 chapters in there. So we read a chapter a day. There's a lot of sentences in each chapter. So the second thing you do is you choose a sentence or a verse that you're going to commit to memory. Okay? Read a chapter, pick a verse, and on that verse, uh, you're gonna, the third thing you're going to do is memorize it. Now, the best way to memorize Proverbs is two things. One, you translate it in a, a way that you would best understand it. And then second of all, you attach a story to it. We think in stories. We remember in stories. This is like an owner's manual, like I said. And if you can remember taking a shower with a blow dryer, you'll probably remember the proverb that goes with that. Okay? I'll explain how to do this in just a moment. Okay? So after we memorize it, then we want to write it down on a sheet of paper or a post-it note or whatever it might be, and you put these everywhere. And the reason is you want this on the front of your brain. You want to be thinking this truth, and here's why. Because all around us is the fifth thing, is you're going to learn and live. All around us are proverb lessons right in front of us. We miss them day to day because we don't know what to be looking for. But once you put this in front of you, oh, you're going you're to start seeing it, and now you'll start believing it. 
Okay, so those are the five things you do. Let me show you. Let me give you an example. I'll walk you through this because I'm going to need you to understand this to succeed this summer. First thing you do, read a chapter a day. You get to chapter 15, awesome. Then the next thing is you pick a verse out of chapter 15. I like verse 17 a whole lot. And so here's verse 17 of chapter 15. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox where hatred therewith. That's King James. And I don't know what that really even says. <laughs> so how do we memorize? We translate it into something that makes sense to us. And so here's how Jerry Clower, an old comedian back in the day who grew up in Yazoo, Mississippi, he's going to explain that sentence from King James to his buddies in Liberty, Mississippi, so they can understand it. Let's see if we can learn from Jerry Clower. King Solomon said in the Bible, it's better to eat poke salad and turnip greens and drink branch water out of a gourd dipper and live in a shotgun house and be dirt poor, but have godly love in the home than it is to be rich and live in a mansion with charbroil ribeye steaks three times a day a wash hole in the backyard, all the money you can spend, big cars, but you're brawling and bickering and arguing and griping all the time, and there's no godly love in the home. He better to be poor and love one another than it is to be rich, and all you got your cotton-picking riches. You don't believe King Solomon said that? Yes, he did. It's in the Bible, in the book of Proverbs. He said, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stall-fed ox and hatred therewith. And I just told you in Route 4, Liberty, Mississippi, talk exactly what that means. That's how it's done. That's how it's done. I think this is the verse, it's how I would translate it. I just stole it from the New Living Translation. A bowl of vegetables with someone you love is better than steak with someone you hate. That's true, Right? And so I read a chapter, I picked a verse, I'm choosing to memorize it. The first thing I'm going to do is translate it so I even know what it's saying. The second thing I'm going to do in the memorizing is to put a story to it. And that sentence comes to mind. I remember the time, the first time I went to Mexico. And here's what I learned. Better is a bunch of little kids running around in a dirt street playing soccer with a busted ball than back home with my friends in a gated neighborhood. It's not so bad to be poor if you're happy. That story came to my mind the minute I read that. All those kids laughing with that busted up soccer ball on a dirt street in Mexico. That's what we're trying to do. Then what do you do? You write it down. Then you watch and see. You have that on the front of your mind, and you just watch and see. You think about that today. Before you get home this afternoon, you're going to see an old couple get out of their car holding hands, laughing, looking into each other's eyes as they're walking into a Taco Bell. And then on the other side of the parking lot, you're going to see some couple pull up, and they've got some fancy car, and they leave their car with the valet, and it's as though they're allergic to each other, like they're radioactive. They are magnets that can't touch. And, that's, and you'll see this verse coming to play. That's how, it, that's how it works. Proverbs, the wisdom of Proverbs is all around us. The sooner we get it into our minds, the sooner we're going to be able to get it into our lives. So 
Do you understand the homework, the five things we're going to do through the summer together? Do you guys understand that? Any, just one person? Okay. This happened last hour too. I feel like I'm working a room full of nuns here. Okay. All right. So let's try this again. All right. Who's in? All right. Who, who wants to trade up? Who wants to live wise? Who wants to come to the summer school of wisdom? All right. Let's do that. Let's do that. Good. I think you're getting it now. It's a fun book, friends. We're going to have fun with it. All right, before we, get, before we go any further, the second theme of the book of wisdom you need to know, or the book of Proverbs you need to know, is uh, besides the fear of the Lord, uh, right, is the beginning of wisdom. Second one is, is this word heart. It's used 85 times throughout the book, and you need to understand that that is primary uh, for this book. As a matter of fact, here's one verse, two different translations I like. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Here's another one. Guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart, for it determines the very course of your life. So what is your heart? In the West, the way we think about our heart, we think it's emotion. No, tell me how your heart is, right? We think emotions. That is not a Hebrew way of looking at the world. That's not their, whatever, anthropology. The heart in that value system is the whole person. It is the intellect. It is the emotion. It's the will. The heart is the essence of who you are specifically. It is your very soul. And, and Solomon is saying, you, this is the second theme, you have to guard that heart because there's a physics attached to your soul. Entropy, entropy applies to the soul. If you just leave your soul alone, like if you don't guard your heart, it will not stay the same. It digresses. If you leave this auditorium and don't guard your heart, you think your intellect is going to stay where it is? No, no, no. It will become dull or hypercritical towards everything around it. If you don't put a fence around your heart, your emotions will not stay where they are. They grow hard as a stone or they become volatile. Right? Again, you can, you can look at Aristotle or you can look at Sigmund Freud, and they will both tell you your emotions for the rest of your life will try to rule your life. That's what they do, unless you guard your heart, of course. And then finally, if, if you do nothing about your will, it won't stay where it is. You'll grow either stubborn or cowardly. Because virtue is the golden mean between the extremes. And the only way you can have virtue in your soul is to guard your soul. It is the wellspring of your life. It is your very life. It is your very life. So with all diligence, guard your heart. That little kid's song, uh, maybe you sung it growing up. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little hands, what you do. Be careful, little legs, where you go. Your feet, where you go. Why? Because the Father up above is looking down in love. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. That's what it's talking about here. Why? Because your soul is the very outcome of your life. That's it. So those are the themes, the two themes, and that's why they're in the, your card. Fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Above all else, guard your heart. It is your very life. In my office across the street, I don't have very many things. I, and this is one of the very few things I, I have. And, and the reason I have a few things in there is because a couple of years ago, these 
ladies at the church that gave me a really great gift. They, they redecorated my office. And the reason they did is because I had decorated my office. <laughs> and say, they saw that and they wanted to help me. And one of the first things they did is they said, you gotta, you gotta clear out all, you know, all this clutter. And by clutter, they meant unnecessary, stupid junk that's making this place look bad. And so uh, they said, you could keep like, I don't know, 10 things. This is one of those 10 things because there's a story with this. This is a constant velocity joint, a CV joint. It's very strong. It's made entirely out of steel. And <laughs> it's dense. It is strong because it is the connection between the transmission and the actual tire. And so it must endure all the power of the horsepower of the engine that goes to the transmission and the torque going to the wheels. That's the joint that does that. It's packed bearings. And it is swimming in axle grease and protected by a constant velocity CV boot. That one, that particular boot, was attached to my car when I was in graduate school. There's my car. That is the very car that I picked my wife up in on our first date. And that was the car that later on, she would join me in California for the great experiment to see if we could get along. And I, I picked her up to drive to California. In her driveway, we push-started that car to get going to California in front of her parents. I am so lucky that her dad didn't know what to do. I, 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 think, I think we're halfway to El Paso, and he was thinking, I should have stopped that from happening. Well, anyway, anyway the, the bigger story is, is we, we got to Los Angeles, and then it, months later, it was time to come home, but I'd noticed that the CV boot had torn. It was a very small crack. It was not even big as, as this picture, um, and I couldn't get around to it. It takes a lot of time and, and work to replace these CV joints and boots, and so we just we started coming. We need to get home anyway, and so we're coming back uh, from the Los Angeles area, Ontario, California, and we're driving back to San Antonio. Now, this is uh, 1,319 miles, and that car, believe it or not, I know, didn't have an air conditioner, and so we had to, we had to travel at night because that was when it was cool, and it was in the summertime, so it would be uh, like 120 uh, degrees across the three deserts we crossed. And, and just as we got east of Palm Springs, I heard the CV start going out. There's some some sand had gotten into that little crack and now was tearing the steel bearing set to shreds. And um, it was at night, and, and that road, for some of you old-timers might know, that is, this, that is the very road that the Hells Angels used to do their famous drug runs. And, and so I'm hearing this CV uh, joint go out, and we're in the middle of this desert where Hell's Angels go and play. And I, I looked at Melinda and I said, you, you pray to God that we can get to Blythe, California. And listen, this is Blythe, California, if you haven't been there. That picture was taken last winter. We are the only two people to have ever wanted to be in Blythe, California. And I said, while you're talking to him, because I'm too busy being scared, we need an all-night parts shop. And so we, we found an all-night parts uh, uh, place in Blythe, California, and I 
put the car up on some bricks and started tearing the thing down. This is like from 12.15 in the morning to about 3.30 in the morning. And I'm, I'm trying to rebuild the, the CV joint and, and repack it and then get another boot on there. And, oh, yeah, right, and I had my dog with me. Okay, this is Leah the Wonder Dog. And you need to know that because something comes up a little bit later on. But Leah the Wonder Dog, uh, used, I love that dog. She'd sit in the front with me anytime we'd go on a trip. As a matter of fact, on this trip, Leah sat in the front of my car, and Melinda sat in the back with her bowl of water. <laughs> and when I say her bowl of water, I don't mean Melinda's bowl of water. I mean the dog's bowl of water. And that's, that whole dangling modifier thing is going to come up later on. Anyway, so... So I, I'm head to toe in axle grease. I'm, it's about 3 o'clock in the morning, and this car pulls up in Blythe, California to an all-night parts place, and I started freaking out a little bit, and I said one of the several tense things that day. I turned to Melinda, and I said, you know, I said, listen, girl, you get in that car, and you stay in that car. And she said, you'd better be talking to the dog. <laughs> and I said, I'm talking to both of you. <laughs> and so, anyway, this, we got it fixed and all that stuff. And that's, that's another part of the story. And I, before we leave this, I, I don't want any of you to pity her, okay? Be, <laughs> because you need to know there's both sides of the story. Here's her side. We were not married. We were not even engaged. And there was a, there was a, there was a time, like in Ontario, when I pushed that front seat up, and told her to get in the back so that Leah the Wonder Dog could sit in the front. That's when she made her choice. And I'm sure she was thinking, next time. <laughs> next time I'm trading up. I'm not going to get in this guy's car ever again. There are a few things in my office. And this is one of them. Because this is what taught me that sand is stronger than steel. This is, what, this is the very thing that taught me that a small tear and a piece of rubber can ruin an entire car. But this is in my office because it's a metaphor. This teaches me that if you do not guard the critical parts, you will die an ugly death in a merciless desert. No one suddenly wakes up in a ruined life. That's not how you ruin a life. You ruin a life because you got on a road and you took a step and thought you could stay on that road and you kept walking. And this says otherwise. No man suddenly becomes a base, as one man put it. So guard your heart. It is the wellspring of your life. You think you can get away with lying and that's a good thing? Getting caught lying is a good thing. Because if you get away with lying, you'll think that path is okay for you to travel. And then one day you'll wake up and your life will be ruined because you're finally getting found out. And you will be held responsible for what you did. And you won't be able to lie your way out of that. Not with your fancy lawyers and powerful backgrounds or whatever it might be. Because... <laughs> because you should have, you should guard your heart. It's the little lies that you get away with that ought to scare you. It's a grain of sand in a ball bearing socket. I think playing the victim works. Don't use it because it works. Don't use it especially because it works. 
Because if you keep on that path, you will never become who you were meant to be. You'll never be honest with what's really happening and who's responsible. You, you have to guard your heart. It is the most precious thing about you. As the way we translated this in our house, we'd say, you better guard your hearts, kids. Innocence, innocence is your power. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Guard your hearts, friends. It's the wellspring of your life. Let me ask you again. Who wants to enroll in the school of wisdom? Let's play this. Who wants to quit saying next time? Who wants to learn how to fear God because that's the beginning of wisdom? Who wants to learn how to guard their heart because it's the wellspring of their life? Let's go get some wisdom this summer, okay? Let's pray. Listen, my sons. Listen, my daughters, to the Father's instruction. Pay attention now. Don't forsake my teaching. You go get wisdom. You get understanding. Don't forsake wisdom. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, go get wisdom. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. <laughs> she offers long life in the right hand, riches and honor in the left. She'll guide you down delightful paths. All her ways are satisfying. Wisdom is the tree of life for those who embrace her. Happy are those who hold on to her tightly. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for this book called Proverbs. You come and save us, and you make us yours, but we still have to get along in our relationships and finances and work, how we treat each other, how we treat our own bodies. So we thank you for that. Lord, I'd ask that we would be hungry for wisdom. We would lust after this beautiful queen called virtue and understanding. You'd make us a wise church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.